0: You're listening to the Physio Matters podcast in association with Chu's Health, and this is session 41. Welcome back to the Physio Matters podcast. I'm Jack Chew and we've been doing it with lots of fun stuff going on over at TPMP HQ. We've been uh, starting to run a few more events. Uh, well, sorry, attend a few more events, we've not been running them, that's a lie, straight out the gates. Um, we went to the Physio Research Society and to British Rheumatology Society's annual conferences, and we did some live streams, so head to our Facebook page, the Physio Matters Podcast on Facebook, and you'll find some live feeds from there, um, from two events simultaneously, we're on the same day, so we're trying to coordinate that, a little bit of a tester for uh, us to try and do a bit more events coverage if you like what we do and you'd like us to be at any event that you're involved in or if you're a, even just a member of a society that runs a conference that that you feel would be good for us to go and, and broadcast from and, and interview and try and take the conference out of the room then please let us know we'd really appreciate your uh, support as well as just bringing our, our work to the attention of the organizing committees if you sit on them or if you're involved in them so please do let us know because we'd love to get out and about more uh, we've got a new couple of, a couple of new setups really with uh with the live stream kit so we can try and get ourselves out there um more efficiently with top quality sound um other things we've, we've had going on we did jack march ran the uh, TPMP champions league which was a set we set up a randomized league table of uh, different podcasts over the years from our for our 40th podcast anniversary and um, and yeah it was really interesting got thousands upon thousands of votes through the days that he ran it and it led to a final between ian griffiths and greg layman and um so two really popular podcasts had a big fight out in the in the final and i think with 62 percent, we had greg come out as the winner and so what we did is we then p- planned that we put it to our patrons that there's going to be some exclusive content available to them uh, for either just with the winner Greg or with Greg and Ian, and we asked them which they which they wanted, and they chose for Greg. And then we said, do you want that as private material or do you want that to go public? And they said. It out publicly, so you know, really hats off to our patrons. They had the choice of uh, keeping so something to themselves for what they pay for um, or share it out widely, and they unanimously voted for it to go out widely. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't get Ian on, on the call just because we we're on tight, tight uh, boundaries for time. Um, but we will make sure that conversation does happen. I think it'll be an interesting one. But instead, what it meant was I had a chance to catch up with Greg and, and try and go into areas of conversation we haven't deviated before. People will have known that we did a podcast with Greg uh, back on session 16 or 18, I can't remember. Um, I should check that, really. I don't know why I don't, but I'm doing this ad lib. And they, it was a really popular episode, as I, exp- as I mentioned in the in this session. Um, but what I wanted to do in this is try and touch on some areas we didn't cover and try and poke into some areas in which we might even have disagreed. turns out we, we just don't. I, I mean, despite best efforts, I couldn't find a way to, to disagree with the bloke. He's a phenomenal thinker and a really, as I mentioned uh, throughout the podcast, someone that I have massive amounts of respect for just for the way that he approaches debate and discussion and uh, always got, massive amounts of patience, a lot to learn. I've got a lot, I've learned a lot from him. I I will continue to, but I imagine that everyone else can. I think he's a, he's sort of stand up example of how we might be able to try and, win the battle of ideas as I keep pitching it is thank you to the people that got in touch regarding some mentoring we we're still uh, in in discussions over over where those slots go to so if you're interested in being mentored by me or the team then please let us know and we'll, we'll talk about that a little more uh, as well as Thank you to those that are starting to send some patients our way. If you have any patients, particularly in and around our new clinics, which are in Altrincham, Cheshire. So anything in the real Northwest region, especially if you've got some second opinion stuff, that might be worth traveling. But if not, then we're in Altrincham, which is just south of Manchester and also into Norfolk. Uh, we've We've got clinics over that way now. Uh, a clinic that we're running out of a gym there as well so if you've got any patients that you feel you want our style of approach placing upon them uh, or you've got any friends and family that you want to point in a direction then if you were to consider us that would be much appreciated and of course in in if you were to find a way to become a regular referral we'd we'd find a scheme and we, we could maybe even throw you some extra goodies and bring you onto the patreon sort of uh uh, Patreon system I'm sure we can manage something like that and get you some exclusive content as a thank you but we appreciate it either way whichever which way it comes but anyway enough from me I bring you uh, the man himself once more Greg Lehman of the well we're going to go with Dr. Greg of the Lehman Institute and uh, if you've not heard that that banter before then eventually if you listen on you'll uh, get the big reveal as to what that means and, and why he's uh, now going by that alias so I'll see you at the other side <laughs> So I'm delighted to be back on the air, not in person this time, and not in the pub this time, which is only disappointing in both, both ways. But with <laughs> Greg, with Greg Layman, who um, was our first. Just a few. I've got a few stats to to open with. First guest of ours to breach thirty thousand listens on the Physio Matters, and. Since has has um, we've had a couple of episodes recently that have gone gone crazy. Neil Langridge and Anina Schmidt's episodes. I think even Toby, Toby Smith's episodes have then uh, overtaken it. Just about, but generally speaking, certainly a, a massive box office success, I can say. And the ideas that he then talked about have become a real common theme since then. can't believe it's nearly two years ago since we had the first <laughs> chat, Greg. Um, and we'll talk about how things might have tweaked and changed and shifted. But since then, you have we were just joking off air and saying that you've probably been on as many podcasts since then as I have so <laughs> you certainly should you're, you're a pro when it comes to this stuff now um we won't go over too much old ground and we'll try and cut make sure we cut on to some more edgy stuff um and i'll point people towards both our podcast together as well as many others that you've done um in in the show notes and things so to move things to move things forward um we've we've got a few questions and i'll try and walk us towards the subtle disagreements that you and i have although admittedly there aren't many of them um because i'm just a bandwagoner um but (laughs) but generally is is there anything new you want to tell the listeners about you in the last two years
1: remember the last time we were running we're going for runs and and uh, puking i'm har- i'm hardly running anymore i have, I have new goals now
0: right then i knew greg the runner and now i know greg the daddy gymnast um do you still do you still end up telling telling your course participants about me puking on brighton seafront when we went for a run together is that
1: i think i just had to make it relevant right that were you there when i yeah yeah you you were there i had to i don't want to talk about you like behind your back <laughs>
0: Oh. <laughs> it's okay no it's fine you talk talk to me so person. i feel like
1: telling the, the story next time on a course to pull you up on skype and then tell the story no, it's fine you t- you ch- chat away mate you you won't be the
0: you won't be the first there's plenty of anecdotes that can do the rounds about me being uh, me being on a above not, not loads of vomiting stories i think in the physio world but there's, plen- <laughs> there's plenty of daft ones but generally um there's uh there's, I'm sure a few corners of things that I've seen you walk towards that might have been some changes in your thinking um or adjustments but otherwise uh you're now apart from the apart from the back flipping what is as your work circumstance changed are you doing anything particularly new with regards to sort of uh, physio and and the like
1: yeah i'm I'm trying to um to get back more into research primary research uh right. that's that's right. that's that's the goal now um just to keep keep teaching a little bit keep keep seeing uh patients we're just renovating our house the basement but to put a clinic in the basement that's what that's what's going to be exciting and then um and then start doing more research again
0: brilliant no that'd be that'd be good and do, do you think that you will rekindle some old research flames or do you think you'll try and deviate into something completely new
1: You know, I've I've mentioned this before, but but what I what I want to do is is, again, simple biomechanic stuff um, uh, with with the idea of 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 like the the whole point is I like to do biomechanical myth research just to say, like, don't worry about this stuff anymore. You know, it's because what happens is, you know, if we want people to move on and do the psychosocial or biopsychosocial. We have to give them a, a reason to move on. So you have to give them an alternative, you know, of how they can practice differently. But at the same time, you kind of have to say, you know, these these things that you're saying, um, they're not well supported. And so maybe we have to uh, get away from them uh, as well. So I want to do, like, really, really basic stuff that, that, that wouldn't get any funding because uh, they don't <laughs> need funding. Because the payers would be like, well, who who cares that reciprocal inhibition doesn't work that way just because your psoas muscle is tight it doesn't mean that your, your glute muscle turns off you know they like a study like that no one's gonna fund that but that's such a dominant theme in our profession right
0: sure
1: and these are and, and so we, we I, I believe in testing that stuff and then we can kind of move on from those those ideas that don't have a lot of support and aren't, and aren't even like really um biologically plausible They're making
0: sense in theory, are they? But you know that's great. And I think what I'm going to try and do is probably postpone that for a moment as to whether that would truly blow the lid off the dogmas that exist. Because I think that the different ways in which we try to translate that material, even if we had the most robust of data on that, is that sufficient to really plant new seeds we'll no. come back to that a little bit because yeah well i think that the common thing would be no not alone but we'll come back to that if you don't mind but it does remind me of uh, something else you've been um i mean it's certainly a, a, an extension of an old theme but but you've been talking a little uh, recently um and probably even when we when we spoke was even in a, in any supposedly neutral squat you still get spinal flexion so this idea in which we we spare the spine not only is that a myth that it needs to be busted in in terms of it being particularly inherently dangerous to to flex the spine under body weight or under load but also that even even the best attempts to spare the spine of of, if if you don't mind that phrase or to avoid spinal flexion it still does show a degree of lower lumbar flexion anyway and so is that the sort of thing that you might find yourself wanting to do some primary research on once more?
1: Yeah, exactly. So that, that specific study that, that we want to do, you know, I, I've just been playing around with a, a little piece of equipment, uh, uh, on the course and with, with volunteers, but we'll, we'll do it more robustly is, is measures spine flexion during squats, you know, compare it to other activities and then, and then sort of see if anyone can actually, uh, Look at the spine and how it moves and say, is that a neutral or is it flexed or not? Because one, I don't think that people are very good at seeing it. And then two, if if we document that you can't actually avoid spinal flexion, this is lower lumbar spine flexion, sure. Sure. Um, then, then how important is it? Because what end up happening is there's, n- there's no doubt that people feel better when they like say it hurts to bend their back forward when they lift and lift prop- predominantly through the spine and then you know you you teach them how to lift with a a hip hinge and they have less pain you know it may not be because the spine is flexing less or or it just or, or it is flexing less but it's just a little bit less you know it's not going to end range you know it's not that it's out of neutral or anything like that it's just that it's different or you're putting more stress on the hip or something like that so it's a touch academic but it really it's just simplifying things as well it's sort of saying like you know the implications for primary prevention are more important. They they kind of say you can just lift whatever feels comfortable. You know, get your, your hips involved and don't fully round out your upper back because that's what I think is what's happening. People people round out their lower back all the time, but it looks like they're in neutral, um, because their upper back stays uh, relatively straight. Sure.
0: No, I think I think that that's it's the excessive attribution of cause when someone makes a gain or improves a, a pattern by it being less painful they'll attribute that gain not to a change in habit but also but to a, a change in biomechanics that's supposedly towards a more neutral or more optimal loading position yeah when really exactly. that's just that's just that they've taken that clinical anecdote and and they've attributed the cause and and, and also it's a it's a very intuitive reaction for a patient to attribute cause it's a very simple uh, cause causal relationship between a, a habit change and then symptom reduction is then to look to the postures mechanics and, and tissues on a on a level not that patients always then take it to physiology but generally they can understand that okay i've just changed the stresses that go through it and therefore that's doing less mischief to me because pain equals Damage. It's a it's a very straightforward line that people can draw, and sometimes they don't even verbalize that unless they're asked. Um, so that makes sense, okay. and it also takes me to where I'd love to love to go with this because you've you've written on this as well as spoken on many of your podcasts, including ours, on this. But we you are liking to you do like to give credit where it's due. I've, I mean, I've always found that a really appealing way in which you go about things. You want to look at the whole whole argument, not just the weakest components of it, when you're sort of uh, finding yourself positioned against a, a, an egg, an argument or an idea, you would want to see it in its strongest form. And I think that that gives, usually makes us fellow travelers. You know, I want to give credit where it's due. One of the things that we're talking about already is spinal sparing, the idea of not finding yourself loading the, the, the spine inflection, uh, the idea of spinal neutral being optimal into a squat or into a deadlift. Now, if we if we can... It's your your fellow, your your previous mentor, and and someone you've worked closely with, someone like Stu McGill, would make a case yeah. for not loading the the spine into flexion. Um, can you before we we talk about? I mean, we've already touched on why that's not really in line with what you or I feel is is sensible or or plausible, even. But can you give us what is the strongest case for someone like Stu's position on this?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I I, I still agree. Uh- a, a lot with Stu. I, I, I really like how how Stu uh, approaches patients. It's just, uh, again, you talk about a true cause. He probably just has a different uh, view of what's going on. But what, what I think Stu would say, and I, you have to fully understand how he got to his, his reasoning, because he created the knowledge base. That's what's so special about Stu stuff. Like they had, they had a research question 20, 30 years ago was how, how does the disc get damaged? You know how how does it how does it herniate and and they showed a proof of principle in a poor sign a pig cadaver spine if if you load it in neutral and other people were showing this if you load a spine in neutral um, the disc won't herniate so they're like well how do we create herniation it's repeated flexion under low loads they showed that the disc will delaminate and and herniate and then Stu went on to show people would say well not everyone I have a cousin who could do tons of sit ups and Stu would say well this is why I can do tons of sit-ups, because there's a certain type of spine, like I, I always get it wrong, but I think it's like a limacon shape, or maybe this the, the vertebral bodies are very narrow, and they actually tolerate flexion really well. So Stu went on to show, well, th- this is why there's exceptions there. Um, and, and then Stu's research would show when when you model the spine, when you lift with its, with a flexed spine, um, or a more flexed spine, uh, that there's more shear force in the back and that the disc has more strain. So you, you both have a, a cadaver study like a tissue-based study and a biomechanical model-based study showing that the disc can wear down over time. The, the cru sorry, speaking so fast, the crux yeah, of all that argument. And this is wh- this is where people start to disagree. So everyone, I would totally respect all that research and everyone has to respect that. Um, And and then the issue here, and 20 years ago we might have known differently, the question is how well does the disc adapt? That's that's where we're at right now. So if the disc doesn't adapt very well to the stresses we place on it, then maybe we want to avoid how much we load it. Like we would do with a muscle. We wouldn't load a muscle every day to its maximum. We'd say there's a certain amount that you can load the muscle and adapt. So we all, everyone recognizes that adaptability is finite. And we probably recognize that adaptability is different depending on the tissue, right? That's why people probably have more tendinopathies than they do have muscle strains, sure. right? Because sure. the tendon is a little bit slower in adapting to repeated uh, stress. So then the question is, you know, same with bones and bone strains and stress fractures. So what is the disc? How well does the disc adapt? And that's the crux right there. If you think that the disc adapts really well, then you probably don't care too much about repeated spinal flexion under load. If you are worried about the disc adapting and you don't think that there's any way to know that the disc isn't adapting properly until it's until it's too late would be the idea. Then you might want to say, I think we should minimize repeated spinal flexion. And and I think that's where where Stu comes out at it. So it's it's really that's the crux to me, where people disagree there. Sure, does, um, that makes it. It comes. Yeah, and, no, and, it, do,
0: it does, and, that, and that's exactly it. There's there's an awful lot of, and things. we don't know.
1: That's the problem. We we don't have animal models. We can't really study people that well. We don't have enough studies that look at humans like in the long term, you know, to see if someone has repeated spinal flexion. What happens to them ten twenty years ago versus a sport where there's less spinal flexion. Except for that paper by FOSS. We talked about that two years ago uh, with the Norwegians and the uh, cross-country skiers versus the orienteers. But other than that, we don't have much. Sure. So.
0: Now, when it comes to and, – and I think that that's exactly why I was asking that question. It's because there's a lot of underlying stuff. There's the, the people that are too quick to completely you know, dismiss and uh, at worst yeah. ridicule – some of uh, the underpinning work in which he built the knowledge base. There's no there's no lack yeah. of well, yeah. lack of reasoning behind that. But where um, and, and neither of us are, are, are gonna go near that, but also yeah. there is then there is then a um an element that I, I have a, a recent frustration with where I don't feel he then necessarily will offer the same charitable reading of the counter argument and i don't see him then incorporating or offering a coherent argument against um the the idea of a more adaptable and then robust system a complex neurological picture in which we know that there are some some central processes that need to be acknowledged and that has caused me personally some problems with regards to me trying my best to explain this to lay person journalists in the UK who then dropped me yep. an email saying this do you know that this is counter to the most sort of renowned spinal specialist in the world stu mcgill who says that what you're talking is nonsense it's, uh, it's, it's frustrating for me to look on at his work with respect and, and to, to pass out the things that I agree with and disagree with, only to find out that a biomechanist is still re- what it seems to be reducing someone to its constituent parts and, and seeing it as a being a, a truly mechanical entity. And talking a lot of stuff, when you're translating it onto patient care, does seem a little bit backward and it doesn't seem that the nociceptive structure failure model has really served us that well. It does seem a little regressive to me. So that's where I start to find myself frustrated with uh, the although renowned man uh, who still speaks many things that are sensible, that's where I find myself deviating from his argument.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think I think Stu is probably focusing on a, a certain type of patient that he sees. Right, and then m- might have more difficulty with a patient that has a, a, a different type of uh, pain pro- profile, where there's where, the, where there's other contributors going on there. You know, we're all just products of, of our our environment. Uh, yeah, I think, so, I think so. that's
0: right. I think one of the things as well is that if, especially especially with that magnificent mustache that he has, I don't think that there's many people that are going to deny him uh, a bit of time to look at their movements and to scrutinize and to to put them under various measures and machines. So there's something compelling about the fact that he might actually get somewhere with the idea that someone might have a persistent problem that is somewhat centrally sensitized amongst other pain mechanisms, put them under such scrutiny with the attention and the level to detail, and then giving them an idea that completely colludes with how they've long time seen themselves, especially those that have rejected a more shall we say, airy-fairy approach where someone's looking at their sleep patterns and then someone turns up and says, no, actually, it's because you're moving badly. I think that's incredibly attractive. I bet he does it brilliantly, but I can I can look on and see how he helps people. I I'm not sure, not that we've ever had a back-and-forth, and maybe we will have him on this podcast one day, but if we have a back-and-forth, I'd love for him to try and explain as to how I help anyone.
1: Yeah, so, so I, to, to be charitable, let what what I think he does well. Um, and I'm at, and I'm actually going to draw a parallel to, to him with, uh, Peter O'Sullivan because I think in, in some cases they're very similar. So let, let's say we loosely and crudely categorize patients as avoiders and as like endurance copers, yeah. right? So endurance copers, the person that keeps doing the thing that aggravates them and they don't realize it, you know, and, and that could contribute to central sensitization because of the long-term potentiation and blah, 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 blah. And then... They stop. They they aren't doing the things that they enjoy in life. It could be lifting weights. It could be playing baseball. It could be throwing something, and so then they go and see Stu, and and he pays attention to them for three hours, and and this is if you look if you look, uh, Peter O'Sullivan does the same thing. It's just a different approach. They both look in and say, okay, what is the thing that hurts that you do when you when you look at the move? They both find the patient's movement habits, right? They'll both. O'Sullivan will say, every time you bend forward, you hold your breath and brace. Does it hurt? Yeah. Well, why do you do it? So he goes into like their beliefs about why they're doing it. But the same thing, the person is endurance coping. They keep doing the same, same thing that aggravates them. Stu would say, look at someone and say, every time you squat forward and get out from a hands and knees position, your spine goes into flexion and that hurts. You keeps showing me that it hurts for you to bend your spine. So Stu will come at it via stability paradigm and he'll suggest, listen, you can't control your spine. You keep doing the thing that aggravates you. I'm now gonna give you these exercises to improve your ability to control your spine because it's unstable. You're gonna avoid doing that thing that picks the scap you know, Now I'm gonna teach you a way that's spinal sparing and hip hinging, and now it doesn't hurt, and there, we, we've helped your problem. You can start doing the things that you wanna do again. Pete will do the same thing. If you look at their papers, like with J.P. Canero uh, on the rowers, or their papers with Angus Burnett and Mitchell in the Aspire Sports Medicine Journal, they find someone who's flexion intolerant that rows. They say, you know what? For a little bit, let's teach you to bend more at your hips when you're rowing. When you do a deadlift, you're going to do a more of a hip hinge pattern. But they'll and then they'll go into why they're doing that. They'll talk about the other contributors to it. It's a, a slightly more comprehensive. But the mechanical component of the treatment is almost identical. It's yeah. just explained you have a movement habit and you're aggravating yourself. And if you saw Pete two or three years ago, well, I was surprised when I saw him in London two years ago. He was saying, we're, we're getting your spine to move in the optimal way. And they would talk about the lower spine moving differently from the upper lumbar spine and the word optimal or ideal i remember being surprised and now i know they don't do that they're just saying we're we're moving differently sure yeah they've moved yeah
0: they've moved they've moved 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 on and that's the funny thing is that yeah there's there's of course corners in which i found myself disagreeing with with pete's work and just because i'm damn awkward like that um but generally with with him i think which of those it's not fair to dichotomize it quite uh, because there's so many similarities but I then would find myself thinking which has the most positive and negative consequences of the explanation. So even when, say, Stu has provided a the relief that's that's got him the double handshake as they left the clinic with tears in their eyes and and, and someone's changed their life and i'm not underestimating that i'm sure he has that most days but yep. does that even when he's had a result and particularly when he then fails to have a result do you feel that we that knowing what we know about the instilling of beliefs or making someone feel like they are a, a bag of meat that's moving badly or the idea in which they are somewhat inherently fragile there is something that sometimes i think that that. Uh, that, that's tough to undo and I also think that sometimes the the Peter Sullivan method particularly when he was particularly into breathing patterns and things although I don't know if he's moved much past that but generally that was had had similar sorts of consequences don't get me wrong but there is there is an underlying uh, collateral damage shall we say uh, that comes from those yep. sorts of what I still consider our
1: dated beliefs. yeah I, I, I agree I think there's a subset of people where if we tell them that they're doing something wrong Uh, and then you're kind of setting them up to fail, especially if it's impossible not to do that thing that's wrong, Mm -hmm. right? That, that, that's the issue with the mechanical model that your, 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 your disc, your disc is damaged. And if you keep flexing, you're going to damage it more, or if you keep doing this habit or, and then there's always the issue, and that's just a small set of set of people who are really, you know, responsive to a a negative suggestion, uh, right with, with Stu stuff. And, and I would argue with Stu stuff. Sometimes it, it, the me, the mechanics don't matter at all. It doesn't matter how they move. So if you can't change symptoms with changing movement behavior, then that, that model is not going to work at all, right? Sure. So what what I think is nice with the CFT approach, with the, the biopsychosocial, or any approach that does movement in other areas, then we, they have other options of just changing of uh, just changing movement they can say you know what you're you're sensitized like what i would say is uh, i don't want to put words in anyone's mouth but this is what i think of the cft you're sensitized to these movement patterns um there's nothing inherently wrong with them for some reason they're associated with pain uh we're having trouble changing them for you but guess what you can still keep poking into pain and we can just desensitize you in all these other areas of your life so what they'll do well is they'll they'll look at depression anxiety sleep general exercise, anything that makes someone healthier, and then they say, well, why don't we work on these areas, and that desensitizing here will carry over to your movement patterns.
0: Sure, and just shifting the context sometimes as well can just make a make a difference, which, uh, you know, I, I agree, it's just, I, I, pref- I always would look and just think, whichever model is broadest, uh, you know, which is closest to, to true holism, and, and, and recognizing the all the wider variables is always more and more suited so any model that that broadens its its uh reach and its boundaries is, is always the, the better. So no, that makes sense. And I think it sound, does sound like you and I are fairly well aligned on these these sorts of things. So what I'm going to do is try and walk us towards a couple of things where from last time we spoke and also when I was on your course a couple of years ago, I found a couple of things where I thought maybe there's a few percentage points in which we might find ourselves disagreeing, which will be entertaining. Because around the time that you were on, last on the podcast, we had an influx of people that were starting to ask me and, and whoever was organizing the interviews for physio matters to find, us dis- try find places to disagree with the guests a little more was was some of the feedback now sure. it's difficult for us to do that sometimes because really the whole point of the people that we're trying to perpetuate their ideas, that we tend to agree with them an awful lot and also want to share some of the real meat on the bones of the work, whereas you coming back on the podcast means we can walk towards some of those areas. Just uh, It might well be that we find ourselves agreeing, but in case we don't, it would be interesting. Now, under the principles of when biomechanics matter, which is something that is uh, a number of really important yeah. slides of, of your work on courses, but also something you've talked a lot about on other podcasts, including ours, you mentioned high load situations are when they really do s- seem to matter, when people get to a tissue capacity in which it breaches their threshold and therefore tissue might break down, such as an ACL in a cutting task or if you jump off a roof, you're better off landing on two feet is an example you use and all completely reasonable. Now, would you, where would you sit on, on uh, the case of it being... Relative to each individual, so where does that lie within your model? Is it just in general high load situations as per mean values on the physics, or is that something that is particularly pertinent to each individual
1: patient? Uh, it's usually individual because e- even when you look at um with the ACL t- uh tear stuff, you people can have a big, juicy ACL and they could handle those loads. If you look at, um, this number always sticks in my head, but it's the Myers study where the people who had a high knee abduction moment, so that like, it's like the ground wants to create knee valgus, you know, when they did a drop jump and I know a drop, drop jump doesn't always predict, but it's still same idea. Those who had a, a high cam, um, they were, they had a 6.8% chance for injury risk, right? And those who didn't was like 0.4%. So, so even though it was only it was only six point eight percent, that means there's lots of people with a high CAM who don't get injured. Right? So you can have high loads and still not getting get injured. So there there are individual variables that are really important here. So it just comes down to, again to fact to the fact that uh, adaptability is finite. Right? How we how well we adapt to the loads, and we don't know with the person in front of us how well they can adapt. So it's why I still like to read the pragmatic research, which says Try to avoid these movement patterns, patterns in these situations, and we see that they can help. We just we're not really sure why they're helpful. I- I'm cool not knowing.
0: No, that makes sense, and 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 it could well be, particularly on this one, that uh, maybe we don't find ourselves disagreeing as much as I may be wondered. But there there are certain certain circumstances, and I remember even maybe using this example on your course, where let's say someone who is generally deconditioned. And, uh, and hasn't then done any formal exercise for, for a long time. Maybe potters around, walks a dog around the block for half a mile every other day. But generally then finds themselves late for a bus um, and, and breaks into a jog to, for 200 meters. um. To, to try and catch said bus, even though they've never actually, haven't run for 10 years, which is a completely feasible case, certainly uh, over yeah. here. I don't know if you, you're sometimes a bit of a fitter bunch over in Canada, but generally that's pre- that's a fairly feasible story. I see that patient an awful lot. Now, in those circumstances, if she then was to, um, let's say, tear a meniscus doing that is what's your sort of position on the fact that she would have had more Propensity to that injury than say you or I uh,
1: that, that's totally consistent. yeah, because I mean I mean this is who's old stuff. you know injury occurs when the load on the body exceeds its, um, its ability to tolerate that load. so we all have we just have different uh, that's the whole idea of movement preparation. You want to be able to prepare yourself to, to match the demands you're going to put on yourself. So biomechanics, another area that biomechanics matters is when you know you, you lack that preparation. When the imposed demands exceed what you can tolerate. So th- that's, that's why I'm such a proponent of like movement quality is probably less important than movement preparation.
0: Right, right. Okay. All right. Where you can have
1: funny movements as long as you've slowly adapted to them, which goes back to the disc idea. Sure. You know, you, people can have these high load flexion uh, cycles as long as they've slowly adapted to it. And then so again it goes back to the question so what if the tissue isn't good at adapting so going back to the acl i think it's such a neat idea if you like slowly expose people to knee valgus under heavy loads do you actually put load on that acl to make it thicker and more resilient that that, that would be the debate i'm not sure that you can actually do it I, i'm guessing there when we tear our acls we just go there's so much load. It just goes beyond anything that anyone could have the ACL prepare. But yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, the, that's the question, like if you want to do the thought experiment that you want to think of.
0: Yeah, and I think we're going to, I'm going to try and drag you towards that thought experiment regarding what might be an upper limit when it comes to a people's adaptability on, on a few different tasks, and we'll, we'll drag it up to upper limb as well on that, I think. Yes. But, so um, if, if
1: you think that, that your preparation uh, can't increase that upper limit, More than the potential injury mechanism, then that's when we avoid. So that's the question: expose or protect? Mm. So you protect when you think there's an upper limit. Or I would, we do this in the course. We do like a, a case study. Like when do you want to protect something or avoid? So if if Ian was here, uh, Griffiths, and we're working in the foot, and we so there's this idea you can start doing something that hurts, and the body will slowly habituate, and it'll heal and adapt. Well, there might be some cases where our ability to adapt is limited. So say you have like diabetes, or charcomary tooth, or like leprosy, you know, that the tissue to adapt is compromised. Or the tissue itself, like um, sesamoiditis, or metatarsal pain, or Morton's neuroma. Like those are cases where those things just kind of run, they're just slow at adapting, and they stay sensitive forever. So those are cases where you say, well, we could expose a little bit but in order to keep doing the things that are important to you, we have to protect. And then, then you wear like a flat-bottom shoe, like a Hoka or something like that, sure. and try to, you know, not look. Does that does that seem fair? Like no, it, that it's does. Always- it's totally totally reasonable. Yeah, and
0: I think I want to. I'm going to probably come back to that upper limit question because I think there's there's so many interesting examples on that. But it does make sense. And just for the listeners that might be interested, we uh, I've just realized I've not mentioned that Greg won the uh, the Twitter. Physio Matters Champions League votes, so various rounds of uh, (laughs) sparring that went on, and then we ended up with a final between Greg's podcast and Ian Griffiths' podcast. So what we're going to do is we're going to put out a podcast, hopefully we can put something together where we get Ian and Greg on the same call and talking around lower limb biomechanics, which will just be a full geek fest, Uh, but we will do that at a later date, so I forgot to mention it. But before we do go into some of the details on the upper limit and, and how adaptable different parts of the body can be and different systems, different characters. Can we first talk about that the lower limit that I was sort of referring to with the deconditioned patient? Because I think yeah. it's, it's important to talk about what someone's baseline would be or our assumptions <laughs> of their baseline, of their lower limit, because it really does make it relevant for how we reload someone or the advice that we might give an otherwise pain-free and well person that's wanting to engage with more sport and exercise. Just such is the dosage that we give them, because our intuitions, based on what we know now, is to really encourage people to exercise, but we now know there's been a proliferation of things like high-intensity uh, workouts and things that, that uh, metabolically there's a good rationale for, but we also see some people break down very quickly when they start doing jump squats before oh. they can squat. So where, where, how might we best frame the lower limit and get an understanding of someone's capacity without having to really creep them forwards with exercise, which makes it boring for them? Oh, well that's a I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Tough luck. Gonna, like,
1: let's let's play that thought experiment out. Like, let's just think like, about it. No, cuz what you asked there's uh, you know, how, how how do we choose the best exercise and the right dosage at the right time for everybody? Right? <laughs> no, but I just mean, is, do
0: you might we have some Matt, we have some sort yeah. of variables that we can play with with regards to um understanding someone's i mean we would we'd obviously go through as thorough as we could because regarding history and someone's general we're not we're not talking about people with say diabetes or leprosy i do enjoy the fact that you use leprosy i don't know if you see many lepers in your toronto clinic but good example but Just generally apart from, those, <laughs> apart from those um do you have any sort of Telltale tricks and tips as to what how you find yourself pitching the dose um, you know on
1: I was influenced like 10 15 years ago with the minimum effective dose stuff there was there were a lot of uh, researchers at a Queen's University really doing that waist circumference research yeah. and their big thing was you can get a lot of health benefits by doing very low amounts of work and and one of my professors 20 years ago was into lifestyle exercise. Uh, he was a cardiac rehab guy. He's the one that gave me my, um, my grant application, just gave it to me, and that's why I ended up getting a scholarship. I didn't do jack shit. He was awesome. Nice. I, I don't know if that's legal, but uh, anyways, I spent the money. Um, so, And he would say, y- you can get huge health benefits by doing small amounts throughout the day. And, and I think we've got to give those, those low-level um, exercise-tolerant patients permission just to do a little bit. Like you don't, you don't have to go to the gym and do 30 minutes hardcore to get the health benefits. So I think it's finding that lowest amount, one to two minutes. Like if I have a patient who has fibromyalgia, we do one to two minutes, and or two to three minutes every hour. That's sort of the idea, just little bits all the time sure. adding up. You know, and when,
0: then, the, when it comes to say a well person, that's that's not like I say, pain, they're pain free, they've not got fibromyalgia. Not uh, yeah, even in the well. Even but, in the well, but then, but then there is there is a there is a fair argument though, isn't there, for, for the fact that we could we need to challenge their cardiovascular system in a in a way that makes someone sufficiently out of breath, and I know that that would be what we could work up to, but we're being we're being inherently overprotective to work on a minimum dose when someone wants to really um, instigate the. Getting back into exercise, and we might miss a window in which we can try and motivate them to start exercising. When there are plenty of examples where someone takes everyone by surprise by being able to run every day for a month, even though they're obese.
1: Yeah, I I, I wouldn't be against that. I would just start slow, and then every now and then say, if you want to sprint, you're allowed to try. But nothing, nothing really bad will happen if you do ten to twenty seconds of sprinting, and then try it again in a couple of days. You know, I I always give those permission. You can try everything. You're robust. You're going to be able to tolerate it. You might flare up, but it won't be that big of a deal. So I put like really broad, this is what I'm, I'm thinking of just the patients I work with who want to start running, you know, that um, they're allowed to start that. But usually we do four to six weeks of just slow stuff before you do any high intensity. That seems to be the rule of thumb. I don't know if you're going to lose anyone because you didn't do that.
0: No, for sure. I'd
1: be more afraid that you lose people because you push them too hard. And they hate
0: it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's going to be more. There's more. Yeah, the more people will fall off the the upper part of the scale rather than the lower one. So I, I do see what you mean there. That's that makes sense. So we'll go back to the some of the some of the interesting stuff on the upper limit. One of the things that was really alluring for me to, to think that you and Ian I could facilitate a conversation. Not that you'd need me. I may probably end up leaving the call after half of it because you'll just be chatting away. But you and Ian getting on a podcast would be that that generally there is. The where the upper limit is, um, various parts in the body is, is contentious. How much can the body adapt in a direction, even in, in healthy individuals, and how someone's structural predispositions to their foot shape, type, uh, their inherent sort of ability to their, their, their physiological health, for want of a better word, all these variables will play a part. And all a lot of these variables will end up being, to some degree, a mystery in, in many ways. We don't always know surface architecture of a foot isn't always hugely representative of what might be lurking beneath. Different at the foot compared to other body parts, but certainly uh, other parts of the body. We, we won't understand all the variables in play when we're having to make calls on someone's adaptability. So do you feel that in your experience of, of working in this model, shall we say, for a while, have you come to recognize certain body parts, certain conditions, certain characters that might find themselves with a, a lower ceiling than others? And, and if there are any examples, could you give them?
1: No. In terms of anatomical stuff, nothing at all. Yeah. I, I don't think that there is anything there. I, I certainly haven't seen seen any trends. So
0: you don't think you, you don't really buy into like... Particularly, there's a certain limit on cue angle that we need to be mindful of with PFJ. There's a certain um, no. predisposition at the hip that makes someone then more likely. If someone's got dysplastic hips, they are not going to be any no. more like less likely to tolerate internal rotation.
1: Um, no, I, 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 so I'll see the hockey hockey goalies who have no internal rotation and they do the butterfly. That's where you go into valgus the whole time. And they have no hip internalization at all. They just they just can can tolerate it. Like I I have sensitive hips from a, a, a long time from running, uh, and they hurt when I started doing gymnastics again, doing roundoffs. And I just slowly did more roundoffs. Like there was nothing to fix. I'm totally fine now. It took me four to five months, a trial and error. Uh, but you, you, I don't think there's no that's the whole screening idea. I don't think there's any ability to do that very, very well you just it's all it's all based on symptoms that's it it ends up being simpler it's just symptom modification and and then slowly changing over time
0: when someone's then had a i mean I, i want every bit of me wants to just agree with that narrative and i do understand where you're coming from with it but i just think that there are sometimes there's this perfect storm that can happen particularly once we bring a previous injury into it where someone might have a a, a femoral acetab- acetabular impingement that for, for yeah. that, that just doesn't means that they just they're not suited to being an ice hockey goalie or they they find themselves no matter how slowly we adapt them into that no matter what training patterns we try to use they may have yeah. a structural predisposition especially coupled Absolutely. with a poorly treated previous injury.
1: You have no idea until until it's too late. Like you, you don't know that there that that's going to predispose them to it until later, until you try. Yeah. So I would be so worried about telling people this might increase your injury risk because you know in that subset of people that will increase their sensitivity.
0: So yeah, you just it's just never worth scarring them with that knowledge. Yeah. Now where would you where would those predispositions most lie though? Because I mean I'm sure. I'm trying to think of, I don't want to totally bastardize some of Ian's best examples on this, but there are certain, say, different people with different levels of sort of supination resistance or different foot types or foot shapes and things that might mean that if you, if you held a gun to Ian's head and said you've got to pick which of these two people ends up with tib post-tendinopathy, he'd, he'd be able to hazard a good guess because even though both might never... That if he if he had to he had to pick one from his experience and, and his understanding of the of the mechanics and the physiology means that there will be natural predispositions to someone's biomechanics. In those circumstances, would you well do you buy into that at all, or do you would you apply that elsewhere in the body similarly?
1: Uh, I buy into the fact that it might happen, that it might predispose them. But you have no real idea who that's going to be until later. There's just too, too many factors going on. So there's no there's no point in talking about it. Because it would be like Ian's paper with Brad Neal in the pronation, right, static pronation. They said that it was, we talked about this two years ago, mm. that it was a significant <laughs> risk factor. But it wasn't an actionable risk factor because there is no cutoff.
0: Yeah. Like the
1: difference between the two groups, you know, was, well, there's huge variability across the groups, So you would have no idea how much is too much navicular drop. And then the difference between the groups were fractions of millimeters. So uh, the research is good. I mean, they're, they're great at that stuff, but it just doesn't help me do anything. It's not an actionable risk factor.
0: Yeah, right, I think so I think that's the thing the, the variables at play are difficult to interfere with. If it were to just on a thought experiment then, if we've got two we've got two runners running exactly the same mileage, let's pretend that they have every other variable in, in line, they're the same age, they've they've got a very similar history, and then they were they were there and, and we did a few tests and one of them had a um one of them had a inherently higher Sort of pronation moments on the on the subtalar joint, for example, Um yeah. was uh, then and that was the only variable at play. Would we be in a situation where we would we would look at that and we wouldn't be able to work out, even if forced to, you wouldn't take a punt on which of those two athletes would be more or less likely to develop any particular injury in and around the foot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you might, but it might be one of those things like the number needed to treat would be 50, yeah. right? It's like that paper by Bart, Chris Barton and Ramscoff. So they did a hip, Ramscoff was the first author, uh, and I talked to Chris about that. So everyone for a long time was saying runners who have knee pain are, are more likely to have um, weaker hips. But then when you looked at the prospect of stuff... You know, there wasn't, if you had weaker hips, you weren't like, more likely to have knee pain. And then Ramscott Scott came, came in and said, you know what, maybe we were measuring hip weakness wrong, and they did it, like, faster. I don't remember, but it probably was, like, 60 degrees, you know, in a Kincom or a Cybex. And they are like, yeah, okay, there we go. Prospectively, the runners who were a little bit weaker in hip abduction were more likely to have knee pain. But then when you go look at it, you would have to, you would have to put, 32 people i think into a hip abductor strengthening program to prevent one one injury yeah no that's fair so enough, to me it's it actually practical. here yeah. yeah well no th- how i would take that or the the someone with the high uh, calcaneal eversion moment when they run and someone say oh well you're a little bit more likely to have you know medial tibial stress syndrome well how do you end up pre- uh how do you end up preventing that we do strength training to increase your tolerance to those loads. So why wouldn't we just do strength training on any, everyone since we can't be sure? So we just treat comprehensively, yeah. which yeah. is exactly what we do with the feed 11. The whole never... team gets the fee 11. For ACLs, that's right. That's right. It we would can never it meet the 30. threshold.
0: Yeah, it would never meet the threshold yeah. for you to individualize it to an extent yeah. because we know the consequences of that individualization. So, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I really tried to force it in there, as you probably noticed. But yeah, we can't disagree on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, went,
1: I, wrote a, I wrote a paper on that, saying like <laughs> maybe if cause I had equipment that could measure that. So maybe if you see more pronation, you do those exercises. But you should probably do those exercises anyway. For performance and because they might help. Yeah, no, comprehensive comprehensive.
0: capacity, as you've, as you've often said. Yeah, exactly. that's bullshit. bullshit. Trademark, TM. TM. Sorry, yes, of course. Immediate reference. Now, what, what that then? A a, a slight deviation then from that. What's the, what's the most common misrepresentation of your views and your work and and? You're pretty. Everyone always
1: thinks I'm taller, except when they meet me in person. Yeah, like Tom
0: that's not a misrepresentation though, is it? You're, <laughs> no, you're, I'm you're sure. a munchkin. You've got you've got a taller looking face. People are then <laughs> surprised and somewhat disappointed that I'm not that, that I'm not a Chinaman and that I'm not, that I'm like seven foot tall. Jeez. So yeah, people say I've got a short looking face, which I don't know what
1: that means. But yeah, apart no, from you, that, which the biggest misrepresentation is like, what do you got? You just talk to everybody. Even my wife, <laughs> she'll make fun of me. <laughs> you're just gonna talk to everybody? I'm like, no, I love biomechanics. Like everyone gets some, usually everyone gets some sort of physical intervention, you know, so I still think biomechanics is important. Uh, I, I just think that we have to keep questioning it uh, to, to get better at it, to find out when it's really important. And then at the same time, when it's not important <laughs> and then the, the, the most important, not important thing <laughs> would be like, <laughs> when do you absolutely not want to talk about it? Because talking about it, might actually increase someone's risk for prolonged pain you know that that's that that's where i think we have to get get better so that's the misrepresentation that i just talk to my patients and don't do anything me- mechanically sure. which couldn't be and i i don't get it i always i go out of my way to to talk about biomechanics the f- whole first day of the course is biomechanics yeah it's just yeah. reconceptualizing it sure
0: well i mean i know i know that full well from from having been on those on those courses and talk to you at length both on and off microphone it doesn't really make sense to me when i see that or you just t- you just talk to people he's suggesting biomechanics don't matter i know very few people in the world that have looked at this as closely as you have and come to the conclusions you have with complete completely fair readings as far as i can tell anyway with my limited knowledge of the of the literature and of the ideas that are you know, everything gets a fair viewing. What do you, it's been two years since we, we did that podcast. It's been two more years of, of, of fighting the good fight, in my opinion. Do you feel you are more or less rep- misrepresented these days than you were back then? Uh, do you feel like there is a, a, a turning of any tide?
1: No, I, I think, well, there's always an the echo chamber, right, of Facebook and social media. Mm-hmm. I'm actually seeing, you know, the stuff that I've been saying for 10 years and a long time. And we talked about this, like, like coming out more often, I'm seeing other blogs that are pretty much what I wrote five years ago, you know, and people writing these ideas. I'm not saying they're lifting it from me, but maybe I inspired them or, or, um, or, or the, the message got filtered some other way. So I'm actually seeing this model become, uh, really popular, you know, uh, uh, and, and it's better. It's more fun to practice like this. It, it gives you it gives you more options. So I th- I think it's uh, th- this approach is being more represented, and and I like it. We're seeing it in biomechanic researchers. So that if you probably remember we did the course two years ago, uh, um, I talked like an hour and a half about the the shoulder and all the research on posture and all that stuff. All I do now is quote that paper by McQuaid and Borstad in 2016. Where you borstad was this still is a great shoulder scapular stability quote unquote researcher about who used to do all this stuff and try to stretch the pec minor to put the scapula in the best position. Yeah. And now he essentially says, forget yeah. about that stuff, you know, uh, ask the it's comprehensive capacity, ask the most out of the scapula, you know, make sure that it can tilt, that it can protract, that it can upwardly rotate. Make sure that it's strong and that it has great flexibility. Make sure that the rotator cuff is strong and has great movements and you have lots of options. Like, it's pretty fantastic. And you're seeing more and more biomechanical researchers uh, doing that stuff. It has nothing to do with me. I, I think that's just, that's just what you get when you look at the research, where you get so freaking confused because it seems like it's so complicated. But when once you go through that complexity storm, you come out, you know, like the phoenix, you know, it's you're reborn. To, and it's I think a lot that's simpler.
0: the thing as well. Is it's is incredibly tricky to see the wood from the trees on that stuff, and and people like yourself and the, and the researchers you mentioned tidying that up for us, us uh, mere, mere mortals, is incredibly important because it's easy easy to get bogged down in some of those some of that so that data and to make sure it's passing out and representing things fairly. Do you feel that like the pushback is any any quieter these days?
1: Yeah, I I don't see it as much. I think. It, i mean a little bit but that's because someone has some they might have some sort of financial or other interest or or they're young and they're they've been really really swayed but uh, but i've often seen like people come and send me an email a couple years later where i I try not to be too mean or confrontational and they'll they'll thank me uh for stuff so I, i i often see that and this model practicing like this it it doesn't mean you you don't care about biomechanics it means you can take that, like, I would still take a Stu McGill course again. I would still take a Mulligan course. I, I would take a strength and conditioning course on powerlifting. It just, this, it, this framework lets you see another way of how to use that stuff where you yeah, don't get caught just, yeah. up in their philosophy, yeah.
0: Become you. You start to integrate it and, and pass it out. I think that there's some. I mean, you've you've always um, said that, and I, and I do admire it. But there's also a degree of triage where people have to look on and think. Well, whilst I might find myself taking two little tidbits away from that three day course, it's not therefore worth my time and money. So um, yeah, there are course. certain things where I think. Whilst whilst it being a polite soundbite, I don't know how much you would necessarily spend your time going on a mulligan course, for example, to find out stuff that you might be able to uh, integrate. I, oh, that's a cool technique, but you're not just you're not just being polite in that direction. There,
1: no, I, I would probably take their level ones. I think the simplifying biomechanics usually says you don't need a level two.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair enough, you've right. seen the footage of the Brian Mulligan stage show from iFont, to hope
1: no, I don't know
0: if uh oh well you i'll i'll send that over you'll have to brave that sometime, but yeah that's uh that's oh. uh the stage show is is not me mocking it by the way that's that's literally what happened but anyway' well, we we digress um it's one of the things that I've always found interesting about your work and particularly. Since we since we uh, spoke two years ago, you, it is clearly tempting for people to get carried away. I on think we theme. were drunk
1: by this time in the podcast two years ago. Yeah, well, you, you,
0: you, you're wrongly assuming I'm not drunk now but um but, but yeah I'm I'm, I'm, no, I'm no more or less drunk than I was then but yeah that was that was good fun much I always laugh I always laugh about that because it's the only one we've really done with any background noise and, and some obviously plenty of listeners didn't mind it because it, it went crazy but um yeah Charlotte <laughs> Charlotte really was irritated when she was editing it she couldn't really concentrate on it as easily so she said never again <clears> um, and I've, I've certainly taken her lead on that but maybe next time maybe part 3 I'll be in the pub once more but um, but yeah I'm, I'm already slurring um it's often tempting for people to get carried away on a theme and they propagate new myths in place of old ones so examples that i remember us talking about in the pub me you and matt phillips uh, me and matt i remember sweating and scratching our heads trying to keep up with you but uh, the idea that stretching never changes structure posture never matters manual therapy doesn't work doesn't change anything doesn't do anything even briefly so are we pedantic to insist on better, more nuanced positions that respect the alternatives? Or do you think that some of the more radical nihilists that, that do suggest such dogmatic positions on things in a different direction, do they serve a purpose because it's the only way to move the needle? So we're talking about a more, you know, how, how do we pragmatically instigate change sort of argument. So what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, we are, we are pedantic, but we're, we're right, you know. <laughs> I mean, the stretching one's funny. Because, I just laugh at that because that whole saying it's all neuro and stretch tolerance, honestly, I, I that's since 96 that we said that stuff. You know, and then people, some, suddenly someone stumbles across the research paper in 2011 and it's like, hallelujah, Did you guys know about this stuff? Yeah, if you're up to date to begin with, <laughs> you wouldn't be such a surprised dimwit. But anyways... Um, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we, we, we should, we should, if anytime you think you have a revelation, you know, go and challenge that revelation, like in the stretch and go challenge your belief about it, you know, cause that Wepler and magazine, magazine paper, that's the one everyone loved. She totally ignored a, a massive amount of research that said the opposite of their belief. And it was pretty horrible. And that's the problem with narrative reviews is that you can write whatever you want. Uh, you know it's blog. not a true systematic it is just a blog yeah. you know it's research quote-unquote research and I have a few of those research papers but I had an agenda when I wrote them you know <laughs> and that that that's that's the idea it is it is just a blog like they're not really that's not primary research um but anyways yeah so but you're you're probably right if, if you do want to change people's beliefs if you think that's necessary you probably have to take a more extreme view to challenge it and to get um to get noticed and get people to talk about it it's unfortunate that like the middle ground is often correct but that that doesn't isn't as interesting
0: yeah, I mean, so, the conclusions yes. are often just as edgy. <laughs> I mean, it's like the, the stuff we're talking about now, particularly the stuff we've talked about before, and most of the stuff that we ever talk about on physio Physiomatters, it's, it's hardly mundane. I don't think that many people listen and don't take anything at least a, a new angle it might not be a, a big reveal but generally it's. i don't think it's any less interesting the conclusions aren't any less radical it's just it's more reasonable in how it got there and it gives fair credit to the to the other side so yeah i'd rather not blow the doors off it's sort of evolution over revolution type type thinking but one of yeah. the one of, one of the downsides to it though uh, sorry i'll let you come back in i know i'm wittering on but um <laughs> one of the one of the downsides to it is that the and I think it's it's fair, I don't think it's sufficient to to really change my views on this pragmatically, but the other side doesn't come at it with similar charity, so no, there is, I, I, go on. I agree yeah, so', it's so too bad. what do we do about what do we do about that because there's there's this charlatanism on the other side that's that's not necessarily playing fair, so we look like sometimes mugs by trying to pass out the good parts of their
1: arguments. Yeah, let me tell an, an anecdote here. So I just I had a participant in a course uh, take an SFMA class, an FMS, uh, nice. and and I l- like those guys. I I would wish I'd like to talk to them. And I, I wrote a. They're famous for saying, "Don't never put strength on dysfunction."
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So if you have a poor movement pattern, you shouldn't strengthen it. You know, if mm-hmm. you can't touch your toes, you're not allowed to do a deadlift. Mm-hmm. And so they referenced. Um, they write, all right. I've I've heard that and this is all secondhand. I've I've heard that there's a blogger out there. That would be me. I'm just a blogger. You know, that's how you insult people. You're a podca- just a blogger.
0: You should have insisted, no, I'm a podcaster.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, I wasn't there. That says you can put strength on dysfunction, and we're and we're here to say that's totally wrong, you know, so let's just move on and forget about that stuff. What I wish what they would do would be like, okay, hey, here's what this guy said, here's all his points. He's either misrepresenting us, some of them are irrelevant, or he, here are some that, that, that are kind of close, and this is why he's wrong, and this is why we have our opinion. And imagine how much better the students would have been from getting both sides of it and then having these great researchers and thinkers at the SFMA you know, challenge challenge what I was saying. It, it would have bolstered the SFMA because, I again, I still think there's utility in it, just for another approach and the FMS. Like I I I wish that there was more of that stuff uh, online where we're like engaging in debate, really like not just trying to prove your own agenda, which of course I do that too. But, you know, you know, just trying to get ahead would be the idea. You just have to go in with that mindset that you're, you're open to changing and open to learning. But you're right that I I find you don't see that as much and it is disappointing
0: yeah i think that that's and also it can almost look a bit forced as well that that, that at times we might um, i mean i had a circumstance here where um the argument against some of my sometimes scathing remarks in the direction of someone like kelly starrett for example um by the time they've they've stop saying you've not seen the full body of his work which I find a really frustrating argument because it's just how many times do I have to read everything that's ever been written and hear everything that's ever been said before I qualify for an opinion on this stuff but generally once they get over that it's usually the idea that well we're all trying to sort of perpetuate movement and and you know it's all just you know trying different ways to get people moving i find it really awkward apologetics because essentially i mean it's the i think one of my friends characterized it uh, when i was ranting about it one time as saying well it's the argument that even hitler was nice to dogs and whilst i don't like to evoke hitler much it's the idea that you know (laughs) trying to give credit where it's due can't go too far you know the idea of thinking that everything has to be balanced and we have to be excessively charitable i'm not going to give people that much credit for encouraging exercise in in this day and age i think that's a fairly basic entry level and so generally i do encourage we, we just want to talk it out but i think that those conversations struggle to get off the ground you can't get dialogue unless you've got goodwill in the first place and i have some sneaking suspicions that that just doesn't come from the likes of the people you've mentioned
1: yeah perhaps but then i would still argue that you you can engage because there are people listening besides just the I mean I just had a a debate online and I knew that neither of us were really I might have changed my opinions that's not true but I was pretty sure that they weren't gonna change their opinion I was like why am I doing this and I kept doing it because I I knew that people I later I found out that people were listening and reading so I think there's still value um, maybe not with the person you're debating with Sure. But with the other people that, that, a, that might is be. Is that in. a
0: textual, text back and forth on social media? Is that something that.
1: Uh, it was on Facebook, on Scotty Butcher's page, about uh, therapeutic exercise or corrective exercise and.
0: Uh, and that stuff uh, uh, and glutes glutes firing and all that jazz I think I might have might have stumbled across that yeah I'll if there's a way in which we can get a public link to it then I will post because I think that was an interesting back and forth and I've seen many of those sorts of occasions which brings me to my next question or next sort of topic I can't necessarily think these are questions it's just a, a chat as ever but yeah um, that one of the things we've already sort of mentioned is you and I tend to work on a variety of angles to try and cut through with ideas and, and um, you've, you know, really usually I'm, I'm passing on second and third-hand information but generally there are sometimes ways in which we manage to upset those who crave the traditional formal channels in which education has had to be perpetuated over the ages. Do you think we can inspire behaviour change while still being credible um, even though others, as we've mentioned before, are deluded at best and charlatans at worst on the other side? Because you and I try and use satire, use human be, sorry, humour, be as human as we possibly can be uh, and and come at things from multiple different angles, where some would argue, no, put it into print, get it peer-reviewed and, and formalise your tone across every capacity. Where, where's your position on those sorts of factors?
1: So that's just a knowledge translation debate and and I'm pretty sure that you know I'm, I remember working at a, at a university as like a program manager and they were really working on knowledge translation and they wanted their research to do more and and they know that it it's not just publications. you know that's just one start. it's it's getting it out there uh, as well. And it's not just going to conferences. I used to be chastised because I never go to conferences and present my research. Uh, I, I didn't like the idea that it would go too far all it was promote themselves and not do any research but no you, you have to find as many many channels as, as possible and I, and I like that's why I made that joke about the layman initiative yeah, so and all that the, stuff.
0: tell the listeners about the layman initiative. It's a great example.
1: <laughs> so it was just one day I saw something on the internet and I started laughing and I was like and it was just someone selling a simple exercise program. I I thought, holy shitballs, like talk about taking like the simplest thing and just adding complexity that was totally unnecessary and just saying all these things. So I did this off the cuff video with my three year old daughter, uh, Mimi, and I just, you know, just made fun of her improper movement patterns and all the dysfunction that she was having. <laughs> Or, or poor squat patterns, and some of it—it's odd because some of it would sound. And I said, you know, this is the Layman Initiative, and what you have to do, especially if you're a chiropractor, you always introduce yourself as Doctor first name. Hi, this is Doctor Greg of the <laughs> Layman Initiative. You don't know how messed up you really are, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, never, under,
0: never, never underestimate how broken you are.
1: And that that got, that got like twenty thousand views in two days I could do like a three minute spawn on the skin fascia frictionless interface and present some literature you know and that I'll get you know maybe a thousand a few thousand twenty thousand and it still got the it was just another way of saying a simple message you know just a just a, a different way through satire and being so and it was it was so over the top ridiculous I didn't feel like it would be offensive
0: yeah, I, I think that's I think what's
1: too ridiculous to be offensive.
0: Well, it's funny because well, good good <laughs> good, good, satire, good satire touches us in 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 places we'd rather it didn't. That's the whole point, though. I don't think that's that that's where people sometimes just seem to be far too dry on these
1: matters because there's this yeah, I'm supposed... M is go on, sorry. Eminem is famous for saying a little truth is said in jest, like you've got
0: a. <laughs> I think uh, one of the one of the weird things is I think there's this uh, this. It's a, it's a bit of a myth, really, in itself, this air of professionalism that, that somehow means that we have to be less human. And uh, right. and there's, there's, there's a fine line, and I think that sometimes people do take the piss on that, really, and they, they push it too far, and they become somewhat... Um, that they'll, that if, if you if you're mocking things when when chat would do or you or you end up finding yourself ridiculing something within two sentences when you've clearly not understood its its full premise then that that's yeah verges on unprofessional because it's just simply making fun and it can it can uh, err towards bullying if the mob joins in so you know I yeah. do think there are lines there and I'm not an absolutist on these things but certainly when i look at that video, which was a complete ripoff of Sophology, by the way, which um, which is uh, <laughs> my my TM. <laughs> I, can't believe, I can't believe you did that. But yeah, generally those sorts of uh, those sorts of things where there is
1: the, people know. I missed know what all that such... Sophology stuff. I, don't, I still don't even know what. It is. Every time I Google it, I find some sofa company from New Jersey.
0: <laughs> well, the, that's the point, mate. I I I,
1: I'm, I was out of town when that blew up, so I don't even know what the hell that's about. Well, yeah, but you you
0: wouldn't you've not yeah. for one you've not been on the course and you clearly aren't sophologically astute so you wouldn't understand and that's fine and yeah. we'll talk about it another time but generally those sorts of things they they are going to get people's backs up sometimes which is in some to some degree a side effect of the point is that sometimes things do get carried away and there are things that are completely ripe for ripe for banter and and really it's like you say, one of many tools. And if it was the only thing that someone like you or I were doing, then yeah, there'd be people that would be frustrated. I think that there's probably better places intellectually to do things than, than just have physio come comedians. But if it's one angle, then I think it's got to, it's got to be fair game. And I think that people need to really open their eyes to, to new media, to the world, to social media particularly, and to realize that we've got to cut through in different ways, or we're going to leave whole generations behind on this. Um, and And you're really doing that, you're breaking through with it. what's the um what's the sort of case in which um, how might we measure? any successes of some of these movements shall we say or the, I think the the movement for movement or the idea of comprehensive capacity or the concepts in which we rationalize sensibly when biomechanics does and doesn't matter how might we understand when the pendulum has swung sufficiently for us to uh to to stop ranting or mocking in that direction
1: oh good one um yeah how how do you know it's working yeah you know, I think it all, has, one aspect would be you have to creep into the undergrad training where um, you, you say these things and they're not that popular anymore amongst people who are out of school. So, you know, the leaders in the schools end up changing the curriculum a little bit. And then, so when the new people graduate, they're like, yeah, we know that. That's that's nothing new. You know, that, that, that so a, suddenly it becomes less shocking and less offensive. Because nothing about it is, is is really new or or interesting, right? So it it just fizzles out because it sucks and it's not interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that that would be the idea, the, and that's where the entertainment factor does have to play a part, doesn't it? Really, the you know the active active act interesting people is is got to play some part. I think it does does seem like whilst I agree, I think it's almost a bit ambitious because the faculties in most Western universities of 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 pe- uh, stacked with people with the credentials earned through traditional formal education and therefore, yeah, it, would, it will naturally, even the best of characters, and there's some incredible thinkers that I know of, that, that really you get them one-to-one and you, you have a back and forth, it's brilliant. But generally, the way that they've come to those conclusions has been fairly long and drawn out and somewhat formal. So they can't help but perpetuate that model on their students. That way of, you know, how to construct thought does tend to go through those more formal educational channels. So I think it's a tough bubble to burst whilst I agree with you.
1: Yeah, well, students... Students always have to view themselves as the customers. They have to make them, especially in the states, when they spend so much money going to, school, and they just treat them like cash cows. I can't, I don't, I don't like how it's done. Yeah. Like students have to say, "I'm the customer here." Why are you? And now the student becomes more educated because they start reading more and they go on social media and they read their literature or they listen to podcasts. And now the students start challenging the professors in school and the students start saying, "Hey, I'm paying." and you're just providing me this old information, your course notes are eight years old, and I, I see that they're from the masters that you took when you went away for a summer to Australia. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the shit that you're, you're giving me. That That's where it has to say, like, the, the student has to stop thinking that they're in high school, and that they have to be there, and thinking, I chose to be here, I'm paying for this product, you better give me a good product. You know? Do you have, do you have
0: sufficient pro- faith in the both the financial market that you're describing, so the market forces that could start to play a part there, as well as the marketplace of ideas being a fair game that isn't co-opted? Do you have sufficient faith in both of those markets, one metaphorical, one literal, that would be enough to, to shift that direction? I, I
1: don't know it be market forces. It would more just be the sh- shame, <laughs> 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 you know, that or that professor. To feel like I'm being challenged here, I need to do something about this. You know, my, I was so lucky at chiropractic college. I went to school with those two PhDs, the Kairos. Yeah, yeah,
0: sure.
1: Uh, and my master's, remember those? Kim Ross, Dave Bresnik. Yeah, Bresnik, yeah. And then I went to chiro School, and they were changing the curriculum there at the time. And they did amazing in their little area. Like, so I've seen that small changes can occur.
0: Yeah, you just need the right characters and the right work to be being sold at the right time. So yeah, there's, there's a few things that need to align, but it can happen, and that's promising. I think one of the things that, that um, and I'm not sure whether, you know, to, to do push back if you don't agree, but and I think that there needs to be some clarity from people like myself over the fact that being to some degree, sceptical of the traditional institutions or the formalised processes that I'm often critical of, particularly on social media, probably less so on the podcast. But that doesn't make me anti-intellectual. And it, it, no. doesn't, make, it doesn't make me anti-academic, it doesn't it's just difficult for, for me and many in, in I'm not going to say my generation necessarily because I really don't associate it with, with an age bracket or a particular timing but there's just a sort of mentality that does exist clearly for this podcast to be as popular as it is and for a lot of the messages that we then share to be as popular as they are that generally there needs to be a shift in, in the form, format but that doesn't make it any less scientific any less coherent in a message for educational purposes and i think that whilst we don't have the regulatory formats it, it doesn't necessarily have much difference between well if anything it's just a bit sharper it's a bit edgier and it's also a bit more um, relatable and, and accessible so that's one of the things i admit that i've got to do some of the some of the lifting on really is to sh- help people to understand that um, these things don't have to be then they're not anti anything really they're, they're only pro knowledge
1: they're pro education Absolutely, and
0: I'm not I'm sure. Well, that, I think that may that, that's certainly where I'm where I'm at with the with the questions. I thank you so much for your time. I know I can see it ticking on there. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Anything you've got upcoming um, for that you want to try and plug?
1: Oh, uh, uh, sure. I I am in the UK this year. I wasn't at all, and then and then we just added a bunch. I'm in uh, Exeter. That's in the UK, right? Yeah. In uh, in in June, and then maybe Nuff Nuffield, Newfield, Nuffield, Nuffield, yeah. Nuffield? Yeah, uh, maybe right around June as well. We're we're just confirming that, and then uh, in Nottingham ne- next March. That's where uh, Roger is, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Is he going to eventually turn up at, at a course of yours? Is well, he-
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite him, and and then I'm I'm finally in London, like the heart of London in January. I'll say I say go to London and I just go to the north or south or something.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you go going to London and then immediately get on a train. No, that's cool. Well, I'll okay. certainly look to catch up with you next time you're about and also we'll make it. we'll make sure we link to all the the various courses. Uh still still an you know, I still credit it as being one of the very best courses I've ever been on and and I've been on on many. Oh, and it wasn't
1: even that good. It's better now. It's be- oh 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 wait, wait. You know what's coming out? is uh, i have a new pain workbook oh that's right i was just gonna say it's uh, and it's free and it, it's uh it's it's like 99 done i'm just doing the table of contents just the graphic design of that brilliant now that's coming out it's, it's the same thing as before but it's it's into four sections
0: brilliant No, i'm really looking forward to that and i know that that was some and work that's, that's another question like what what is it <sighs> do you you still I've asked you this question in private before but it seems fair because you've got something new coming out should it be free
1: oh uh, this like and it's not purely like if you're honest and I didn't mean it at the start because when I first put it out there I didn't have anything to sell (laughs) but I mean um, it it, it, it's not purely altruistic I think it still helps me Um, but no because because I started doing it free I've always thought of it as free that was sort of the promise. Uh, I have no problem like thinking that that this should be free, and it, it's 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 just uh, it would be harder to write if I did it thinking that I was uh, uh, selling it. You know, I might do online courses in, in the future, but this is more motivating for me. Like I, I kind of this is crazy, but and I would never think this before, but I, I'm like hoping like maybe like a hundred thousand copies could get downloaded. Like, that that's sort of the goal there. You know, I always yeah. want to qualify for the Boston yeah. Marathon. Maybe I can get, like, uh, I give 30,000 people this. Why couldn't we get 100,000, like, patients and therapists to download it? So that's sort of the goal. That's what—that's really why I want to make it free. And if I charge 10 bucks, then that might cut that nine percent so,
0: yeah, no, I, uh, I totally, I totally admire your motives, and I, and I think that you're you're on the right lines there. Not selfless really
1: altruistic. Think. That that there's still selfishness sure. in there. I wanna...
0: No, I, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily look on and think, oh, you're just being overly like generous there in in every which way. I just think that there's there is something to be said for, you know, I, I'm a big supporter of you and your ideas. I think that if you were to have even just a basic sort of um, don't you know keep it free but have a donations button and please do if you were to contribute to this then this is what let's say if if everyone if every other person chucked in a dollar what would you do with that money and how might you be able to share the ideas further and wider it would then give you you think about what that would mean if you got you know it just i just think that that's one of the things that um, i mean as someone you know, you speaking to so i, I do, i'm the free podcast guy right so i'm not going to maybe suddenly... that's not a bad idea like a
1: donation and i
0: could i could
1: i can add into the research
0: well, exactly. You'd, <laughs> then, you'd then, you'd then, you'd then, you'd then, then admit like no to you'd admit to the you'd admit to. I'm not. This is it. I promise. I'm not trying to turn this into a marketing seminar because I'm, I'm hardly <laughs> good at this myself. I'm my, not good at that. it's amusing. It's amusing because yeah, my, my my if my accountant was listening, which he occasionally does, then he'd be slapping me around the back of the head and saying you're hilarious because this is exactly what I'm bad at. So don't get me wrong here. Um, <laughs> but generally speaking, if you were to if you were to have a little bit of you know if if your work was to create. Some revenue, then it would be you, you. You've essentially within a few clicks, you might well create yourself a, a marketing and research machinery uh that, that then would only mean that you could scale your work further so yeah i just think that you, you're doing great stuff anything i can do and anything physio can do to support it then please give us a shout thank you as ever for your time and hopefully we'll get together in the coming weeks with you and ian and we can talk about some nitty-gritty stuff in and around the foot ankle and lower limb
1: yeah totally thank you jack
0: cheers greg and uh yeah we'll speak soon mate bye everybody Absolute pleasure as ever to talk to Dr. Greg of the Layman Initiative. I think we covered most of what's been sort of uh, lingering in my thoughts as to where me and Greg might find a place to disagree. Turned out we couldn't, I mean, despite everything I tried. um, It's it's something that really, I do think he's got a really well-rounded sort of thought process on all these matters. Although, of course, even if he's one of the closest to the answers he is far from admitting he knows them which is always really really good to see the humility exists across the board um one of the things i've forgot to forgot to mention particularly in the last podcast is when we when we've looked at it and a few people have been scrutinizing uh the the way in which we can share our message and they've noticed that one of the things that we really don't do is we don't really beg for itunes reviews or stitcher radio reviews or wherever you come to listen to this podcast and it turns out that that really does tend to affect our visibility on terms of rankings and things we get the we get high numbers we get great download rates i mean especially in the last six months we've had three podcasts that have gone beyond 30 32000 listens which is just brilliant and is far beyond my wildest dreams of what the reach of what this podcast would mean so if, if it never grows from that i'd be delighted but what we would what we do want to do is we really care about the messages that we're sharing and we want them to reach people and try and change people's minds or just give people pause for thought at very least. and one of the ways in which we do that is for us to be more visible on the internet and apparently iTunes metrics really does care about historic sort of ratings and reviews that exist on, on those things. So if you wouldn't mind, if you, if you do like what we do, then we really would appreciate a review uh, for you to revisit that, that system and have a look on iTunes or wherever you come to it on Stitcher or Android, it'd be much appreciated for you to drop us a line on there. Of course, if you want more from us, if you're interested in supporting us, if you want to keep us free and keep our quality up and stop us being in the pockets of, uh, of business interest, then we would always appreciate you joining us on Patreon or supporting us on PayPal. Visit choosehealth.co.uk for all the further information on that. There's a donate button for PayPal if you want to make a one-off donation, or if you want to support us on Patreon, we give out free membership account um, exclusives on there, and we've got some great webinars that are coming soon from Mark Reed on strength and conditioning, as well as some exclusive conversations that I have. And this, this this podcast that I've done with Greg, as you can tell, is really conversational, and I probably talk too much on it, to be honest, so apologies. For that, but generally, what we're going to do is try and jump on Skype with these contacts that we've met from all over the physio and medical world. And we're just going to try and jump on Skype and do some short-leaf videos and, and podcasts that we'll get out. And that's going to probably be the mainstay of the, of the Patreon content because that's what some of our patrons have asked for more specifically. So if you want more of that, if you like what we do, then you do feel free to you know, join us on there and throw us a couple of quid. And we massively appreciate it because times times are tight. You know, this is not the, the free podcast game ain't easy, let's say. Um, but I always do feel a bit cringeworthy when I'm shilling for shilling for cash. Uh, but it would really make a difference, especially when it comes to what I mentioned at the top of the podcast, which is a rather you know about events coverage. If we, if we if you really think that we do a decent job of being these pseudo journalists, then we want to get out there. We want to get in the field. We want to talk to more people. We want to be in the room that you're in. We want to go to courses. We want to cover it as thoroughly as we can. And and really, these things are any any spare change that's given out as well as much as we do things out of the goodness of the heart and put as much of the you know the business money into the into the physio matters thing that comes from choose health really the the patreon stuff just covers the expenses of of people like george goodwin who supported me at the um physio research society and jack march who went down to the rheumatologist society and you've seen our hopefully seen our myth busting piece which is through our student group uh, matt murray downing owen cunliffe tom jesson and george goodwin doing fantastic work for our new student focus group find them on social media if you haven't already but all of these things i mean i never get a chance to reel off all the stuff we're doing but all of these little facets they come at some basic expenses and i feel um i feel cruel if i don't you know at least find a way to 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 throw these guys a bit of change to cover their expenses at the very least so please do consider it and if you do we would much appreciate it but otherwise thank you for listening you've been listening to the Physio Matters podcast discussing Physio Matters because Physio matters. Bye for now.